they viewed it as so unbearable, they're more likely to stop or to modify their workout, right? To avoid the burn. (laughs) That doesn't mean they can't do it. But if you sit Mm -hmm. with the burn and you notice the burn and you don't judge the burn, chances are you'll be able to finish the Mm -hmm. workout. And then Mm -hmm. you give yourself the confidence that you mastered it. So the next time you feel that burn, it won't be as scary. Universe seven. Yo, what's going on, Brinocchio? It's your boy Jerry, the TR expert, Washington. Yeah, you know what that moniker means. It means we have yet another interview. Yes, this is episode number 32 of the General Fitness Company cast, and today we have a special guest. This is Dr. Jamie Zuckerman. I have to tell you, these past two interviews have been really special to me. Why? Well, as you may or may not know, I was a psychology major in college, and my first real job, quote-unquote, out of college was as a school counselor. So anybody in the therapy, psychotherapy, counselor, psychology field in general, I have a special soft spot in my heart for these types. So yeah, uh, we had a really good interview, though. You know, Jamie, you may or may not know her. She's uh, real big on Instagram right about now. She's doing real good things uh, in the in the burbs here, as we like to call it, <laughs> the main line of, of Philadelphia. So uh, she went to school locally. She's actually had a lot of experience in the area. You know, she's been at Temple. She was at Friends Hospital. Uh, she was at the University of Pennsylvania. Uh, she's actually been in quite a few uh hospitals quite a few settings around the mainline area so she has a lot of experience with a lot of different populations so it was really interesting having this conversation with her i learned quite a bit we definitely learned a lot well i learned a lot about how to deal with these emotions that we're dealing with right now in the during the pandemic some ideas and how we can deal with this discomfort and how we work through and sit with our discomfort she's teaching people how to not avoid discomfort but more so learn how to accept it. And I think that's really important right now while we're here in this pandemic. So maybe even more importantly, we talked a little bit about what we can do to adjust post-pandemic. Because I tell you, you know, right now, <laughs> I've seen some things out there where, I, you know, you see some people that are, you're probably going to have some issues adjusting. Uh, real quick, I saw a, a tennis match the other day. One of my friends was telling me you should check it out. And I checked it out. And it was these two pros. It was a few, few pros. I can't remember what house they were at, whose house they're at. But uh, they were playing. And... They didn't look so good. I tell you, it was pretty tough. <laughs> it was just tough to watch. And the reason why for that being is that, you know, no matter what, no matter how much of a pro you are, no matter how much you've been practicing something, if you're out of practice, you're just going to be a little rusty. Maybe you might not be absolutely terrible, but there are some things that you're going to probably want to think about that you may not be thinking about now when it comes to post-pandemic. So we're going to talk about that today. I really do hope that you enjoy this episode. I hope it brings you value. If it does, feel free to share it with a friend or a family member or anybody. You can do it really easy. You can take a screenshot or you can copy the link wherever you're currently listening to this episode. All right, so let's get it underway. Episode number 32 of the General Fitness Company cast. My interview with psychotherapist Dr. Jamie Zuckerman. Let go!
what a uh, wild couple days for you, huh? I mean, you know, I, I... <laughs> yeah, wow. you don't realize how much your life is dependent on your phone. Oh my goodness. Yeah, it's wild, isn't it? How much you realize you don't realize that until like you lose it, and then you're like. I oh, mean, <laughs> not only did I get locked out of my iPhone, which you can reset with your Apple ID and password, but the Apple ID password I haven't used in forever, so I didn't know it, so I locked myself out, and then you have to reapply for it. And because I logged in from my son's phone, they thought mm. I was trying to break in, so mm. now it's going to take 13 days. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's some super security. I mean, I guess it's the plus and the minus of having good security for your phone, right? I, I, I guess, but, yeah. you know, as, as, a, as a quote, a uh, essential worker during quarantine, it's the, the greatest thing that could happen. <laughs> yeah, right? Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so. But, so. I was thinking about that. It's like you, uh, you, you still manage pretty gracefully, you know? Like uh, most people probably would like just freak out or whatnot. Uh, oh, no. Oh, oh, I freaked out. <laughs> I, I, just, I just didn't post those on Instagram. You didn't post freakouts on Instagram. Oh, no, right? no, no, no. No, no, no. I did not handle that with grace. <laughs> I get it. I get it. I totally get it. Hey, sometimes it happens, right? It's oh, my goodness. Oh. Well, hey, yo, it's, it's, it is what it is. You know, like uh, that, that happens in life. And I think uh, you are definitely the <laughs> personal experience. And because of your, uh, your professional experience, you could definitely uh, give us some, uh, some lessons and give us some tips on how we can deal with chaos. <laughs> I mean, I think I need someone to give me lessons on this one. <laughs> Well, you know, the fun thing is that you know, I've read before that uh, the best way to think of things is actually talk them out. So, you know, I guess we're in a way we're going right. to ourselves, right? Hope we are. Talking. You know, I actually what I did with this and, and, you know, normally if it wasn't this situation, it would I actually don't know if I would have handled it better or worse. But I just keep thinking there are so many worse things going on right now that if this knock on wood is the worst thing that happens, I can I can handle this. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Perspective. Perspective. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, Jamie. All right, so let's, let's let's rock and roll. So, why don't you? Uh, I mean, <laughs> so if everybody knows, we did this. Uh, we did this interview before. Uh, it was a. Uh, this is this is part two, or technically part two. This is the second version of it. We had no audio, so I have absolutely no no trace of what happened <laughs> except for this video, an hour long video that just has us uh, faces. So uh, I don't know. Maybe I'll get a lip reader or something right. like that. <laughs> uh, no one wants to look at us for an hour. <laughs> no, right? Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? Well, There's got to be somebody out there. That <laughs> Either way, what we'll do is we'll, you know, we use the audio and you know, we'll, we'll play around with it in the near, near future. So why don't we tell people, uh, well, why don't we tell everybody that is, that's listening right now mm -hmm. who exactly you are. Give us like a 90-second intro sure. and let us know what you do. Sure. So my name is Dr. Jamie Zuckerman. I am a clinical psychologist. I work with adults ages 18 and older. My, I'm in private practice in Ardmore on Lancaster Avenue. And I specialize in your typical anxiety disorders, social anxiety, generalized anxiety, panic, PTSD, um, and then just everyday stressors of life and depression. Uh, I also have a specialty in, um, or I should say a concentration in health psychology. So I also see a lot of people who have medical, uh, medical illnesses that have psychological symptoms associated with that. I do a lot of work with the Epilepsy Foundation of Eastern Pennsylvania. So I do a lot of speaking and presentations for them. And I see a lot of patients with epilepsy in my practice. I also, probably over the last, I'd say, five years, started seeing a big influx of college students in the area. Um, so that's been a big part of my practice as well. And then just your standard everyday marital issues, life issues, things like that. So I see pretty much everything. Yeah, pretty much everything. Pretty much everything. <laughs> the whole gambit. Well, that's really cool. So I'm I'm interested a little bit about the uh, the the behavioral issues related to the the physical mm -hmm. uh, the physical thing. So like um, you said, is it normally people that you see that have epilepsy that see, or is it like you have other 
other people that have maybe other issues that are connected to their uh, like. You mean aside mental... aside from my my the standard anxiety diagnosis separate from from that. Um, mm -hmm. So the reason why the neurological disorders um, became kind of my subspecialty. I worked in, I was the director of psychology at Riddle Hospital in a neurology practice for a while. So mm -hmm. I was getting a ton of referrals um, of patients who primarily had epilepsy, migraines, MS, Parkinson's, um, things like that. So I, it just kind of went from there. And then because I was in a hospital at the time, I started getting a lot of patients with cancer diagnoses and, um, you know, everything from diabetes to um, heart disease, you name it. So a lot of these medical conditions, obviously just the stress of living with them and the treatment um, bring about anxiety and depression, particularly, you know, especially with epilepsy. Epile epilepsy is an interesting one because A, you can't see it and B, it's, it's, it's always kind of, even if you're seizure free for let's say 10 years, patients always have this fear of, but what if tomorrow's the day I have a seizure? Or what if tomorrow's the day my mm -hmm. head stop working? Um, mm -hmm. And then you also have illnesses that trigger psychological symptoms. So mm -hmm. a lot of times heart disease can trigger depression. And a lot of times, you know, migraines are triggered by depression, but then also depression triggers migraines. A lot of autoimmune diseases are, you know, MS, for example, flares up during times of stress and, and it's kind of this vicious cycle. So, so that's how those are connected. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious. Have you ever had anybody that came to your office that had like maybe a uh... Uh, neurological issue some of, of some sort or not even a neurological or maybe even a behavioral mm -hmm. issue or whatnot and you said hey you know maybe we should look into something that's physiological has anything ever happened like that and you found that they had like a tumor yes. or something like yes that? Oh. oh yeah so one of the things i do um there's two ways that goes so a lot of times i will get patients coming from the er who thought mm -hmm. they were having heart attacks when all their mm -hmm. testing was normal turns out they were having a panic attack so it can okay. go that way but then there's times where i'll have people that come in and there's certain there's certain symptoms of depression that are more, um, that, not all the time, but tend to be associated with, let's say, um, hypothyroidism or hyperthyroidism. Um, there are certain types of anxiety disorders that can be related to, let's say, Lyme disease and things like that. So one of the things I do is when patients come to me, I like them to get a full lab workup mm -hmm. to make sure that everything is okay, their levels are okay. Um, and then if people come in with like an acute behavioral change, let's say all of a sudden they, they started forgetting things or their family members are telling me how all of a sudden they're just really agitated for no reason. Sometimes mm -hmm. I'll make a referral to a neurologist to just to make sure that, you know, the migraines or the acute sudden onset of behavior change isn't related to something organic. Um, so mm -hmm. that, ha that happens actually quite a, quite a bit. Really? Yeah. A because a lot of people don't associate phys you know, I, I know we say we know it's connected, but, but a mm -hmm. lot of people really don't understand how connected that is. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I mean, a large portion of my patients with anxiety and depression do have some sort of underlying medical something. I mean, it could be anything from what they're eating, you know, that's causing, mm -hmm. you know, too much sugar, too much complex carbohydrates, things like that, that are causing their, their labs to be off, which is then causing chemical imbalances, and which leads to depression. So yes. So short answer is yes. I, I like to have everybody yeah. get a workup from their, their primary care doctor. And I actually, if they haven't gotten one in the past year, I, I, I make them get one. Oh, so, so like your typical patient that would come in there. I was actually going to ask you that next. So you have a, a typical patient that would come in there. I was, obviously not everybody is <laughs> nobody, typical, right? <laughs> but for the most part, you know, uh, you have somebody that comes in there and they want to, they, they want to solve an issue in their mm -hmm. life. The first thing I have them do is uh, work up a, uh, a neurological assessment. Not or? neurological. No, <laughs> neurological, there's, there's different symptoms that I would look for with that. But just the general patient mm -hmm. coming in that's having difficulty sleeping, that's having a ton of anxiety. I always, mm -hmm. I always want their primary care doctor um, you know, on record in my files anyway. And so I always ask, when was your last physical? And if it's been longer than, than a year, I have them make an appointment.
Oh, that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. yeah. It's hard to hard to make a diagnosis if you don't have yeah, all because, this. Yeah, because I mean, it. if it's a thyroid condition that's causing depression, I mean, that that's, I don't want to say an easy fix, but at least we know where to start. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of the key, mm -hmm. right? You got to know start in any kind yeah. of situation. Or even like sleep apnea. <laughs> I mean, one the biggest, the biggest reason for anxiety and depression, one of the things I go to first to treat that is, is sleep. We do a lot of sleep hygiene. So if you have, you know, hyperthyroidism or hypothyroidism, you know, or sleep apnea, you, you want to, I can't just do my part. I also have to have the medical end of it too. Okay. So you do, so you definitely work hand in hand with like the actual medical. Community. I do. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 You're saying that's a good idea, right? I mean, it's a smart move. If you can get as many, uh, many hands. In exactly. Exactly. That's a good thing. Yep. And again, like, you know, like I said, most of the time, nothing, nothing mm -hmm. glaring comes up. Usually, you know, sometimes it's just, it is, they're just depressed and they're anxious and they're going through difficulties. So it's, you know, mm -hmm. not always something there. Yeah, I get, no, I totally get that. No, now, like, so we're talking about like how somebody comes in there and they start off. What, what kind of therapy? Cause there's t tons of types mm -hmm. of therapy that, that can practice. What would you say would be, is there like, is there such thing as a go-to method or is there a specific therapy um, practice that everybody has that's their signature? So if, um, how do I want to say this? Uh, I'm let's put it this way. I am sure if psychologists are listening to this, they, they may disagree with mm -hmm. me based on their theoretical orientation that they have. But, um, I am more of a behavior therapist, cognitive behavior therapist. And, um, I use a lot of what's called acceptance and commitment therapy, which is kind of, it's behavior therapy with kind of an Eastern philosophy twist to it, mm -hmm. which you can see, you, you follow me. So you can kind of see in my posts, I'm more about not getting and changing and not getting rid of thoughts, but rather sitting with discomfort and acting with that. Mm -hmm. So that's the approach that I take. I, I find that there are certain disorders, diagnoses, whatever you want to call them, where sitting and talking about your worry doesn't help because what ends up happening is you end up sitting in your head, challenging your worry. And, you know, most people I see, they're bright. They, you know, they, they can tell me why they worry and what they worry about and give me all the reasons why in the world their worry won't happen. But as soon as they leave mm -hmm. my office, then they're just stuck playing ping pong back and forth in their head. So I tend to take a very behavioral approach. I, I like to change behaviors. And then once you get a different result, that then challenges your thoughts and your feelings. So it's kind of like you have to change a behavior first and then the rest will follow. Is that essentially like the, 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 the root of, I don't know any other way to put it, but the root of cognitive behavior therapy? Um, so like cognitive behavior therapy looks more at challenging your thoughts and how that then affects your behavior, which I think is very beneficial with certain people and certain diagnoses. I tend to take more of a behavioral approach, that acceptance and commit me, commitment therapy type approach and focus more mm -hmm. so on the behaviors. I don't ignore, obviously, you know, child upbringing and, and, and feelings and emotions are all extremely important. And we use it in therapy, but I, okay. but I focus okay. more on the, the change because the, the theory, as you were saying, the kind of the, the theoretical underpinning, I'll say, of that is, is mm. this yeah. avoidance we do as human beings of anything uncomfortable. I get it. So, okay. So remember how you said feel the yeah. burn? That. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly. the equivalent. <laughs> that's right. exactly what it is, right? Yeah. So it's not necessarily like why did you get the burn initially, but just feel the burn and understand like that you yes, have a burn. That's correct. Going because because so, think about it, if your if your clients when you're working out with them, if when they felt the burn, it, they viewed it as so unbearable, they're more likely to stop or to um, modify their workout, right? To avoid yeah, exactly. the burn. <laughs> that doesn't exactly. mean they can't yeah. do it. But if you sit mm -hmm. with the burn and you notice the burn and you don't judge the burn, chances are you'll be able to finish the workout. And then mm -hmm. you give yourself the confidence that you mastered it. So the next time you feel that burn, it won't be as scary. Mm, that totally mm -hmm. makes sense. So yeah, so it's more so about that presence, about that, uh, that yes. mindfulness. Is that really kind of like where, where you're more, I mean, that's where you get the Eastern yes. philosophy? Exactly. Oh, okay. So 
is Western philosophy more so on the like what happened in the past thing, um, or is that just? Uh, I think that's just an old. That's just. Um, or is that not even cognitive? I mean, it, no, it is because here's the thing. So there's psychoanalytic, which is which is more focused on that, which I, I don't do, and I, I I wouldn't even begin to talk about. It. I don't even. I mean, I know the general idea of it, but I just wasn't trained that way. But what I do is is I look. One of the things I do in the beginning with patients is I look for patterns of behavior that they have that aren't working anymore. And um, mm -hmm. everybody has patterns of behavior and some of them work sometimes, but none of them work all the time. So you have to figure out what patterns of behavior you're using when and when you should tweak them and when you shouldn't. And so where childhood stuff comes up and emotional stuff comes up is we look at the patterns mm -hmm. you have and I, we, I work with them a little bit to, to understand why they have those patterns. Let's say because, you know, dad yeah. was an alcoholic and mom was always covering for dad. And so like you grow up in a certain environment, you develop a certain survival strategy that worked for mm -hmm. you as a kid, it helped you get through life. But then when you're, when the context and your situation changes, but your pattern mm -hmm. doesn't change, you're still functioning in this survival role that's no longer needed. And so if you Absolutely. don't shift your pattern, you end up running into to problems and that's when depression and anxiety happens. So I look at your upbringing from, from a pattern standpoint. Okay. Yeah. I get it. I get it. So it's not necessarily like, this is what happened to you. This is the blame we're going to put on so-and-so, but essentially like, all right, this is the pattern that we, we see that is, uh, that is producing right, this specific behavior right. or specific yes. desire. But behavior, I, I, you know, you still always want to obviously validate, you know, if it's a trauma or they had a really difficult upbringing, you don't, you know, it's not like I completely ignore it and say, well, that doesn't matter. Let's just focus on your behaviors. You know, <laughs> it doesn't really matter what you went through. No, I mean, I, I very much, you know, I still sit with them with that for a while, but the, the general trend is to get them to change their current behavior. No, okay. Yeah. No, I totally yeah. understand that. I mean, it does, it does matter what happened, you know, because it helps you process maybe a little bit quicker, but at the end of the day, everybody just yeah. the, the change. And, I, and, and right? I think too, you know, I think people sometimes need to hear, you know, and sometimes I'm the first person to tell them this, that something wasn't their fault, that abuse wasn't their fault, or, mm -hmm. you know, their parents' divorce wasn't their fault, or somebody's death wasn't their fault. And I think they need to hear that they need to have their feelings validated so that they feel comfortable enough to then start to want to make change. Because I think a lot of times people are scared to make changes because they're scared it's gonna it's gonna be painful and sometimes especially with like PTSD brings up a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. so you have to you have to process that before you can even attempt to expect them to move forward. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. Let's talk about that. Let's delve into that sure. just for a brief moment there because we were uh, this this podcast and uh, what we do essentially like you said is uh, trying to change behavior. So how do you actually you get these people to delve into these these feelings and understanding like all right this is what happened this is how I make this this change like there's mm -hmm. a chasm here and like. Where do we, how do you go from, this is what happened, this is where I am, to crossing that chasm and going to Great where you question. want to be? So you, you asked very good questions. <laughs> I got to <laughs> tell you, that's a really good question. Um, so one of the things that's important in the approach that I take with patients and the style that I use with patients is getting them to identify what their values are in life. And what mm -hmm. we do is we make a list, not just of their behavioral goals, but we make a list of the things that they value. And when you mm -hmm. have this idea written down in front of you, not just in your head, but of, of what you value in life, what you value yourself to be, you know, how you value the people around you and, and ultimately the type of life you want to live. And then what we do is when we look at your behaviors, I have them ask this question to themselves, is this behavior right now in this moment getting me closer to or further away from that which I value? So it's used as a grounding technique. So in the moments, it's kind of like a quick and dirty question to ask, okay, how do I know this is the right thing? How do I know I'm doing the mm -hmm. right thing? And, and the other thing is usually if it's uncomfortable, it's usually because mm -hmm. it's the new behavior they're trying out. Mm -hmm. And they can't, they, and they can't get too 
caught up in that. Again, feel the burn. Feel the burn because right? if it's familiar and it's comfortable, then it's probably more of the same, which is understandable. Mm-hmm. And when we're stressed and when we're anxious and when we're depressed and when we're tired, it's very normal for even the, even the health, the most mentally healthy people out there to fall back into old patterns because our brains get overwhelmed and it takes shortcuts and it takes us back immediately to what's familiar. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Okay, so the value. So you have people that come in there with all si- or all sorts of mm-hmm. values, I'm sure, right? People value like getting healthier, maybe value having better relationships. Have you ever had anybody that came in there with values that just seemed like they were off to you or maybe like they didn't seem like they would serve them, but they were animate about like having that as part of their life? Um, let me, um, I'm sure I, I'm sure I, ha- not often. Because when we talk about values, mm-hmm. it's, I usually could kind of put it in the context of in a perfect world, if everything was the way you mm-hmm. needed it and wanted it to be, what would your values be? And usually everyone's are pretty, pretty healthy. Sometimes if you have someone with a personality disorder, because their perception mm-hmm. of themselves in relation to others is, is skewed, sometimes their values may be um, kind of still embedded in that personality style. And when... Mm-hmm. I'm working with people with personality disorders. I have to do things a little bit differently because the awareness is not as strong. And so you almost yeah, have to be their eyes yeah, in, in a way. It's it's, it's, it's kind of have to. Kind of have to. Uh, I don't. You kind of have to hold them. I don't want to say a mirror up. But you kind of. You have to get them to gradually understand that their perception of their world is not. Not only is it not accurate, which is very scary for them, but it's also not helping them and so instead of changing behaviors Mm -hmm. it's also about changing your perception of yourself in relation to others a great example that i give and 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 this this i obviously don't say to someone in their you know their first couple sessions with me because i don't have you know a close therapeutic relationship with them yet so i I wouldn't be able to say this but um but when i've been working (laughs) with someone for a while so let's take something like um social anxiety disorder which is not a personality disorder but it's pretty pervasive and um for those of you who don't know what social anxiety disorder it's it's this constant fear of others judging you, um, fear of saying something stupid, fear of other people thinking you're less than them, um, just it, this general fear of how, how others perceive you and it's always going to be negative. And a mm-hmm. lot of times people with social anxiety sort of they'll avoid social interaction. They're always mm-hmm. you know, assuming that either the, that someone's either out to get them, not in a paranoid way, but just out to get them, doesn't have their best interest in mind, thinks less of them, doesn't care about them. Mm. Yes, yes. And so it's, it's very pervasive. So while it's not a personality disorder, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty, it's in every domain of their life. And a lot of times there's, there's less insight with social anxiety disorder because they've always seen themselves like that. So they don't know any other mm-hmm. way to see themselves. Whereas if you're depressed, you know what it's like to not be depressed. You know, if you're, exactly. yeah, you're, if you're, if you're depressed, anxious right? <laughs> or you're panicky about a situation, you know what it feels like to not be panicky. But for generalized anxiety disorder and social anxiety disorder, it's pervasive. They've been like that their whole lives. So one of the mm-hmm. things eventually that people with social anxiety get to is this understanding when they finally understand, you know, that their way of looking at things is skewed, then they get to this point where mm-hmm. now they can't trust their own perception of things, which is very scary for them. So one yeah, of right. the questions <laughs> that I say to them, and, and a lot of times they, I get this look of, and I'm not sure if they're going to like throw their shoe at my head, like tell me to, <laughs> you know, F off or walk out of my office, but that hasn't happened yet. But I'll say to them, you know, would you say that everybody around you has their, their own stressors? And they'll say yes. And is everybody around you struggling in some way? And everyone, will, you know, they all say yes. And everyone has their stuff. Everyone has their stuff. So I'll say to them, so what makes you, what makes you so special that everybody's 
taking time out of their day and their own stuff to judge <laughs> you. You know, and I kind of, no and I kind of no get this boy. look of like, wait, like they look at me like I can't believe my psychologist said this to me. But then it's always followed by this one patient I'll never forget. It was this, oh my god, I'm not special. I'm not special, and she got so excited. She's not. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and obviously everyone's special, but I, I mean it in a way that kind of shows them yeah. the, the how skewed their view is, and so it's it's often a turning point they mm -hmm. hit when they when they realize that 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 everybody's just as in their head as they are. Yeah. You know. Mm -hmm. No, you're right. That's actually absolutely yeah. true. Yeah. That's funny though, right? Because <laughs> you're not. We are special, right? We're we're special because like there's no one like us, but at the same time, everybody's everybody like, exactly, like us. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. 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 Yeah. A, that is yeah. very interesting yeah. perspective. That never about that one but yeah huh? we're all we're all just that's right we're just that's human right. beings just that's right i mean you know even even some of us you know i see a lot of villanova and st joe's students and um you know a lot of them have social anxiety mm -hmm. disorder they don't like getting up in public they don't you know like being around groups of people um you know and one girl had a fear of public speaking and, and i said to her how many people in your class do you think want to get up willingly and are so excited to get up and talk in front of class and she, you know she said no one i said so when you're up there do you think they're picking you apart or do you think they're in their head dreading to go next <laughs> you know and so it's just things <laughs> like that to try to get them out of their own head yeah, yeah. That, that makes sense so uh, I, I was thinking about this as you're, as you're talking about that because there's a lot of things that uh, mirror or at least uh, that lead to i think self-care do you would advise like care for a lot of your clients you have a like a specific routine for yeah them i mean practice? it's going to be person dependent obviously but um if okay. above anything else everybody has to have a routine and a, a routine that's mm -hmm, obviously, mm -hmm. you know, it, that's flexible because you don't want a routine that you that you absolutely under no circumstances can can you know deviate from. But everybody should have a routine. Most mm -hmm. of the time, you should wake up at the same time every day. You know, you should you should do your routine because what it does is, especially for anxiety, is it gives you a forget what your routine is for a second, but just the idea of a, a self care routine. It it enables you to feel like you have control over your environment. It enables you to, to be able to predict what comes next. Um, and it gives you control over what comes next. So it takes a lot of the guesswork out of your day so you can conserve your, your cognitive energy throughout the rest of the day. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. Yeah, you mm -hmm, want to mm -hmm. conserve your energy. Right? Um, and then as far as self-care, you know, it, it's, it's different for everybody. I always recommend that, that people have at least 15 minutes a day of some sort of physical activity. If they don't like working out, fine. If they don't, you know, play tennis, fine. If, they, if they're not runners, fine. Walk up and down your driveway for 15 minutes. Take a walk around your block. It doesn't matter. Something that that kind of just gets your blood flowing, gets your heart racing. So that's one big thing I put in there. The sleep is the biggest thing. Go to bed the same time each night. Wake up the same time. Yeah, wake up the same really? time each morning. What do you think is more important? So wake, going to bed at the same time going or to waking bed. up at the same time? Yeah, yeah, really? definitely. You know, if you don't go to bed, at a reasonable time and a consistent time, your clock is just off the rest of the day. Yeah, yeah. Really? I, I assume that would affect your mood and make, affect everything. your decision making and- Everything, metabolism, yeah. <laughs> I mean, literally everything. Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah, everything. Huh? Mm-hmm. Wow, so it really is important to just like do the best you can to get on, get to bed at the same time and wake up so yeah. you can have some yeah. kind of Yeah, cuz it's not just you needing to predict what's next but your your physical self needs to be able to predict what, what's next. So your body needs to know like you know your body will become accustomed to winding down at the same time every day. So if you don't you're you're confusing your system. Mm -hmm. You're confusing your brain, you're confusing, mm -hmm. you know, everything pretty much. Uh, so you have a dysregu dysregulation exactly. and everything is just yep. dysregulated. Uh, 
Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. You know, you want to have a routine because I mean, it just—it sounds like a pretty simple, right? I mean, I feel like if you have a routine, it just, yes, yeah, it's yep. such it's a day, day almost, and right? it it takes out the guesswork, and it just it it whether people realize it or not, it allows you to predict what's next. And we are creatures of habit, so we just function better when we know what comes next. Hmm, <laughs> that's pretty yeah. pretty self-explanatory, right? Just because it control yeah. what you can control, I guess, and especially. In this time, in this yeah, I mean that's why like quarantine is right? so difficult. But even I mean, if you think about workouts, when I don't know how you structure them, but you, I'm sure you have a, a you know when you do a workout, this is what you're going to do throughout the workout. But if you just gave them the first thing and they didn't know the next thing, and then they didn't know the next thing, they they probably wouldn't be as present because they'd be wondering what comes next, right? Yeah, well, yeah. Sometimes I do it. Sometimes I do both ways. To be honest with you. Sometimes I give them a little bit of a uh, uh, a little bit of a, a filler on what's going to happen next, and sometimes I just kind of surprise them. Believe it or not, I have a couple clients that are just like, you know what? Don't tell me what's coming next. I don't want to know. I just want to focus on what I'm doing right yeah. now. Because yeah. Right. 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 It, maybe that helps <laughs> them be more present in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's just like we talk, we're talking about, right? It's everybody yep. has a different flavor. Everybody has something to yep. a little bit different, differently for them because everybody has different environments, different biological. Exactly. They are. <laughs> That's awesome. So what, um, what advice would you have for people right now that are looking to maybe make their, uh, make their grand reappearance out into the world uh, post quarantine? Cause it looks like what, in about a little less than a month that we're going to be starting to reemerge and the, mm -hmm. everything's going to open up and, enjoying the sun what what because uh, you know we're all even cooped up mm -hmm. I, I was to be honest with you i was watching something uh the other day it was a tennis match and i can't remember who it was these guys the, the guys I, they were at like some guy's house it was like professionals but they're at some guy's house because all the courts are still closed but these guys look terrible I, I was like these are pros like this guy totally he was going for a volley he went up to the net with the with his racket and literally the ball he whiffed on it ball was behind him and we don't even know what to <laughs> <Right>. say <laughs> It, looked like a, yep. it literally looked like junior high tennis. So, you know, like obviously being out of practice yeah. with the uh, communication and like social norms and stuff like that, what would you have for as advice for people? Yeah, so, you know, one of the things that I recommend is try to take inventory because we have this, which hopefully will not happen again in our lifetime, but because we have this societal pause right now, take inventory of the things that weren't working for you and and use this time to figure out what things you may want to switch up going back out even you know even if it's something like spend less money or be more active some you know first kind of figure that out because a lot of people in these past couple of months have had a lot of time to reflect on their life and think about things and you know especially with the amount of you know sickness and horrible situations that people are going in with finances and death and all just all of this horrible these horrible things that are happening i think what would be beneficial is kind of do you personally want to go back to your routine that you were doing before? Are there things now that you see as more important because of what happened? You know, are you seeing things that you mm -hmm. maybe value a little bit more now, let's say, you know, do you value your connections a little bit more now than finances? Do you, you know, things like that. I, I think it's important to take inventory of that first. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I got a good personal. Is there anything that you've personally taken inventory of that you've noticed that like maybe you want to change yes so and, and if my friends right listen now. to this they're going to laugh at me because they're going to think i'm lying but i'm not lying <laughs> so one of the one of the <laughs> things that i my friends will tell you this that i am notorious for is and i don't know if it's because i talk all day long is my job but i don't talk on the phone i will text all day but i i don't talk on the phone and <laughs> i could be texting them and they'll call me and i just send them right to voicemail i just i'm really I'm really bad. Oh wow! Hold on. I'm, I'm really bad at that. 
<laughs> I do. I mean, it, it's it's just I've always been that way. I don't know why. I just I just can't stand talking on the phone. So um, so when people call me or if I call somebody, the first thing they'll say is, "What's wrong?" <laughs> so, What's wrong, um, right? <laughs> so that and also one of the things I do is I I overschedule myself a lot. I I take on a lot. I tend to be a little perfectionistic. Okay. I I you know I've I've I, I've been only child. I've been independent for a really long time. So I just, I'm used to doing a lot on my own. And I think, you know, I have this tendency to take on too much. So I am, am making an effort and I've started doing this saying no to things and just sitting with the guilt because I know it's irrational um, rather than saying yes to everything because mm -hmm. I feel bad about it. And the other thing would be, I, I, and again, my friends will laugh at me for this, but I, I really want to try to be more, um, social in terms of keeping plans. I set plans with friends. It sounds great. Eight o'clock rolls around, ready to go to dinner, and I can't move. So I, I, I fail a lot <laughs> on, on, on plans, and I feel horrible. So that's one of the things, too, that I think if I don't take on so much, I'll be able to be more social because I'll have the energy, too. And I, I think that coming out of this, I really kind of value the, the connections that I have with friends because I, I really miss them. So... Yeah, I bet. I yeah. bet. Yeah, we had you on on a record, recorded video or recorded audio. So you're gonna uh, hold me yeah, to it now. I know. I know. Yeah, Somebody, one of my it, girlfriends, has a has a, a blog, Instagram account. She uh, posted, "What are your goals for after quarantine?" And I wrote these, and I cannot tell you how many people commented saying, "Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah, right. We'll see." <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. So to answer your question, so after that, I think it's important to, um, I think it's going to be based on your personality. Some people are just going to be, get me the hell out of here and get me back into my routine. And that's fine as long as it's safe. Mm -hmm. um, I think other people are going to have to go back in a little bit slowly. Um, I think it depends if you have kids, if you're single, you know, I think there's a lot of, a lot of variables with that. But I say, you know, keep your routine as much as you can and change what you want set your new goals, set your new routine, and just kind of go out there. I, I think there's going to be a lot of fear for a really long time. And I think we're going to have to kind of mm -hmm. teach ourselves to do things, assuming they're safe, and at the same time, have this kind of this post-quarantine fear because, it, it. I mean, we're bombarded with it all the time. It's not, the fear is not just going to stop. Mm -hmm. So you're, you, you suggest just like, just like anything else, like dealing yeah, with the fear, yeah. fear and just like living through the fear? Is that Hey, I feel like like having I feel like fear is not something that's healthy to I have. Am I, am I correct in that? Is there based on something rational? I mean, if there's, you know, someone chasing you down the street, you know, with a gun, obviously you want to mm -hmm. run. You know, if there's a lion chasing you in the middle, you know, of Lancaster Avenue, you want to run. So, you know, fear keep it's a mm -hmm. you know, it's a it's a fight or flight response. It's when that fight or fight fight or flight response is used in situations that are not threats yet we're perceiving them as threats. Yeah, exactly. So, so I was thinking like, so like we have this, this fear because we're almost in this almost constant fight or flight response now, right? Like how would, how do you think I it's think like best to get out of this current fight or flight response that we are, or I mean, maybe we're not I in it, but like, I feel like we're out of quarantine, it, how much we are in heightened. Right. Because we're very safe in our house yeah. <laughs> right now, you know, and, and I think once we're out of our house, mm -hmm. um, I think then we're going to know where we have and we don't have. And as, again, as long as what we're doing is by the guidelines and, and safe and we're doing everything from, from kind of the guidelines that we're being given um the fear that we're having the only way to have the irrational fear or to get out of that fight or flight response if it's not necessary is to actually do the behavior so that you give yourself the platform mm -hmm. and the experience and the opportunity to see that nothing bad happens when you get the behavior exactly right
That exposure therapy. Ah, uh, yes, yes. Yeah, we talked about this before. Yeah. <laughs> on the last, yeah. last episode, right? We talked about that exposure therapy. Probably that's, it, it, I feel like that is like the, the, the way that almost every therapist yeah. helps their, their, their clients, right? Is this some sort of, some form of exposure therapy, slowly introducing them to the stimulus, slowly introducing yes. them to that I thing think, and make them I think the difference though is that what acceptance and commitment therapy focuses more so on is not so much exposure to the, to the thing, to the actual thing you want to do, but exposure to sitting with the discomfort mm -hmm. and the fear while you do it. So it's, it's getting you okay. used, it, it's kind of getting you used to feeling uncomfortable while you're doing the task so that you break the association between that feeling and the task. Mm, okay. So it's almost, would it be like saying like, like yes. you're making the uncomfortable yes. almost Yes, comfortable? you have to get comfortable with the uncomfortable. Exactly. Okay. okay. And that exactly. can change your norm and now change your mm -hmm. pattern and that will, oh, I get it. I and we're talking about changing norms and patterns and whatnot. We're almost, we're almost out of time here. But I was curious, is there anybody or anybody or any type of person that you believe is just like can't be changed or just yeah. like it's going to have issues, yeah. like have extreme difficulties so in changing I never in like comparison to, say to other people? It's never possible to change. Um, but from a diagnostic perspective, mm -hmm. narcissistic personality disorder. Narcissistic. Now, why would you say a narcissistic um, personality because disorder? Because there thing? is no insight and there's no awareness of their of the impact they have on others and if they do have the awareness it's only in terms of how it benefits them it's a really difficult personality mm. disorder because they don't ever come in for therapy because they don't think anything is wrong with them and if anyone confronts them or, or you mm -hmm. know wounds their ego um, they will do a really good job of switching the information around in your head in their head and then before you know it, you're, you're apologizing mm -hmm. for something you don't even think you, you don't even know why you're apologizing. It's just, it's, it's, it's just a really um, pervasive and really difficult personality disorder. I, I, I would bet that if you asked the majority of psychologists would probably say the same thing, that it's, 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 not, it's, it's really not something that's going to change because any change they make is about how it benefits them. Kind of everyone around them is an object and they use them uh, as, a, okay. as it benefits them. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, I see what you're saying. So yeah. they don't have that that human relation. Now, does that, do, you, do you think that's connected to anything like physiologically, neuro, neurologically? There's some research out there that says there's maybe a genetic component. But really, when, when you're dealing with personality disorders, it's, it's very much a learned, a learned behavior. And so, that, that, yeah, so that doesn't mean you have to have narcissistic parents. Really? It could mean, you know, you grew up in an abusive environment and that was your coping skill, which worked for you as a child. But as an adult, it no longer does. Mm -hmm. You know, you could have grown up in an environment where there's mm -hmm. absolutely zero consequences for anything you do to an extreme. So you grow up with that same message mm -hmm. um, or, you know, you could have been just emotionally beaten down and, and developed this shell of hardness. And you won't ever let that go, because if you do, then it's kind of like you're vulnerable. It's so it's, it's way more, you know, it's way. It's actually I have if anyone wants to learn more about it. I have um, I just did a live Instagram on it, but I also have in my highlights, my Instagram page some stories about it. But it's a really complicated one, and and that would probably be the one that I would say. Yeah. So you and and it's even and and, and further complicated because right. they don't come in to see, I see you. Their, yep. I see their spouses. Uh, is that what it is? Okay, you see their mm -hmm. spouses. Okay. Hmm. Mm. And then they uh, that you kind of yeah, indirectly uh, yeah, yeah, work with them that way. Yeah. Yeah. Because usually, someone with narcissism will gravitate towards a partner who's more on the dependent spectrum and and kind of more on the 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 putting their own needs second kind of low self-esteem that kind of personality so they're the mm -hmm. ones that end up coming in to see me
yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm, I is. totally get that. That's a tough one. That's a tough one. Hopefully, hopefully we don't have too many of those people out there, but I'm sure, I don't know. I, I guess like everything else, every personality um, it has depends some on the Like all of us have narcissistic traits, all of us, you know, and, and, if you, and if you look at very successful yeah. people, they probably have okay. more than others. All of us have dependent traits. We all have traits. So if mm -hmm. you think of personality disorders, think of them on a continuum. So we all lay somewhere on that, mm. but narcissistic oh. personality disorder is like the is the extreme end of one and dependent personality disorder is on the extreme ends of the other. And then they, they tend to gravitate towards each other. Mm. Yeah. 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 Wow. That's pretty amazing to think about that as on a spectrum. So it's almost like we all have these yep. little, these almost spirits mm -hmm. or anima or whatnot, as Freud used to say, and some of them have a, mm -hmm. a little bit stronger influence than others on us, but we have these, these, uh, I guess that, wow, that almost brings back, it just kind of blew me, I don't know, I just, I don't know why my brain just went here, but it's like mm -hmm. the, the Greek gods and the Roman gods are almost the same thing, right? It's like this whole possession of the, yeah, see, wow, it, they've always wow, been there we go. it's always been around. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, around. and if, if you think about people like, in certain yeah, careers, you know, people that have their own businesses or people that, um, mm -hmm. you know, are, you know, really anything that involves, um, I don't even want to say careers, but but if you look at people in certain positions of authority or you know CEOs, things like that, they they probably are further and not in a bad way. Just you know have more narcissistic strings to them. Let's say. yeah, of um, course. But they're beneficial, right? Yeah, that makes sense. You kind of have to be like have to have a little bit of a, a confidence in a, in a way. I, I mean, because if you don't have confidence in your ability or confidence right. in what you do, then you can't get up That's to the right. top and you can't push the. Yeah, I guess I see what you're saying. You have to have those yeah, yeah you can't yeah that's that, that's very interesting because uh, I, I would say there's probably a lot of people out there that probably think that it's not a good idea to have like those types of of, of, of feelings like maybe anger or mm -hmm. if you feel like they're being possessed by anger or mm -hmm. sadness or narcissism or any of those traits because maybe they they were they, they were learned from other people or they maybe saw it in their environment they saw they didn't re, didn't right. work for them so they probably right. said i don't want to have that at all Exactly. And understand. so that's the thing. That's the thing. It, you gotta have it all. No, not one style <laughs> is bad all the time. It's when you have one style that you don't deviate from, mm -hmm. like a narcissistic personality disorder or any personality disorder. Ah. It's when that one style doesn't shift, or it doesn't even have to be personality style. Just when you have one way of interacting with people and it doesn't shift depending on the context, that's when you start to hit, you know, walls. So no, sadness wow. is totally fine to have. It's normal. It's healthy. Narcissism's totally normal and healthy mm -hmm. to have. It's it's just in what amounts. Mm, wow, I love that. That's really cool. So that almost that really brings it back full circle. So it's literally your know, you, whatever your personality is, whatever is going on, whatever the behavior is, essentially is what we're looking at is like what is the pattern? Does it fit in the context of what your values are and what are your what are your goals going mm -hmm, forward? Exactly. With that realization, and everyone's, of what your everyone's special, are. but not at the same time. There it is. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Exactly. Right. Everyone's special, but at the same time, <laughs> I love that. That's a great note to end this one on. So, Doctor Z. Let us know how we can find you. You said uh, yeah, you have your office out in... Uh, sure. Uh, in so Lincoln. this is in Ardmore and Lancaster, 233 East Lancaster. And um, I have a website, Um Also on Instagram, it's um, dr. Period underscore psychologist. Or dr. Period Z underscore psychologist, Dr. Z psychologist. And I post a lot of, you know, hopefully helpful quotes and stories and live instagram sessions on there so feel free to follow me and I'm, I'm pretty i'm pretty quick to get back to people in there so feel free to dm me and i'm happy to help i do them every you said live Tuesday instagram sessions are you doing mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 8 p.m eastern standard time right? cool. so we'll find you dr z doc, dr dr dot z underscore mm -hmm. 
we got psychologist. it. We got it. There it is. <laughs> so much fun. Yeah. So we uh, look for uh, look for Dr. Z, Dr. Zuckerman on uh, Instagram. Uh, look around her website at drjamiezuckerman.com. Awesome. And, uh, Thank hopefully you. Look for another podcast in the near future. Yeah, no Bye-bye. problem. We'll talk to you soon, Doc. Bye bye. All right, so that's it for this episode. Really do appreciate Dr. Zuckerman for dropping by, giving us the lowdown on how we can maybe regulate ourselves during this pandemic and uh, create some habits or adapt some habits that we can maybe take into post-pandemic life. Anyways, yo, if you did enjoy this, I would love for you to leave a rating or review. Feel free to share this with your friends. If you know someone that might uh, find value in this episode, you can do it real easily. Take a screenshot, put it up on your social media. You can copy the link, send it to your friends that way. Or you can just tell them about it. That'd be great too. General Fitness Company Cast. Looking forward on anywhere you can find your podcast. All right, we're out. I will check you manana, my friend. Oh yeah, and don't forget to subscribe. <laughs> Peace.